I'm so excited for today's message. I, um, this week has been one of those weeks where everything works together to, and I can see God moving in our church at the moment. I really can. And I'm just so excited as we, as we dig in today and we lean in, it's going to mean that we are going to have to give something of ourselves. So you might have to give something of yourself to this message today. And so I just want to encourage you to lean in to that. Last week, we went through what the problem is. And very briefly, we discovered that 30% of families regularly have dinner together. And also, only 30% of families regularly have worship together. That's some shocking stats, right? And we also learned that about 42% of Adventist members globally leave the church. We also discovered that in America, it's 50% church of young people leave church. And in Australia, there's something even more startling going on. We think, well, let's not think, we know that over 72% of Australian young adults who attended church in their teens will ultimately become spiritually disengaged sometime during their 20s. 72%. That was a, a shocking figure for me last week as we, as we shared that. And I know for some of you that was a figure that really sunk in. But this idea that's going to prevail throughout our series is that the kingdom of heaven is like a family table. It's like your family table growing up, no matter what it looked like. It's like a dinner table where people are welcome, as they are. And today, we are going to dig in to the idea of church. And I've heard countless sermons about church or ecclesia. And we talk about how the church is a body. We talk about how we are the church. We talk about how we can do church. But we, we talk about all of that. And we have for a very long time. In fact, our church has a relatively solid ecclesiology which is the understanding of how church looks within the Bible as well. But we haven't fully realised that. But our church is lucky, at least in Australia, around the world. We are lucky. We are one of the fastest-growing denominations in the world. In fact, last year, we were the fastest-growing denomination in the world. That's a, that's a pretty cool thing, right? So I'm trying to tell you, it's not all doom and gloom. We're growing we are becoming a bigger family. And in fact, here in, in Australia, our um, union president recently said last week that he wants to see our numbers go from about 63,000 to get to between 73 and 80,000 in the next few years. And, and there is the potential for that. But I think that church should look like our family table. Growing up, my family did dinner together. And I'm not just talking about my little nucleus family, my extended family. Uh, my my mum's a Pasco, um, and in the Pasco family, we have every Friday night, or well, most Friday nights, a meal together. Pot uh, potato soup that my, my pa cooks and his famous recipe, no one can ever get near that. And my pa, he, he makes bread by hand in a, a bit of a family recipe that he's passed on, thankfully, to my wife and I. In fact, it's not really a recipe. He just does a bit of that and a bit of this, but it's the best. 
And as we come together, our family is a big, giant family. And sometimes we're going to have 26 people there that are all family, aunties and uncles, cousins, grandma and grandpa, and even bigger and bigger. Of course, I had to take my wife along to this dinner. Of course, my mum brought my dad along to this dinner when they were starting to get together. It's a family tradition. But when we come to this dinner, do you think we all sit in separate parts of Anand and Pa's house? No. We come together and we do life with each other. And I think that's a pretty good description of what the church should be like, in that we come together, young or old, babies and grandma and grandpa, and do life together. But the past two years have seen the biggest interruption in history, in my view, since at least 1918 and 1915 when the Spanish flu happened. It's been the biggest interruption to the way that we do church. And as pastors, whenever we meet together, we talk, we've been talking, how are we going to pivot? How are we going to pivot the way that we do things? Because the world is changing. It's changing quickly. But the past two years, I noticed these things. This isn't everything I've noticed. It's just a few things. I noticed that people deeply missed gathering together. Did anyone here miss gathering together? Yeah? For us, we were affected pretty badly when we had the border right there as well, and we really couldn't gather in an easy way. In fact, I couldn't even visit people that easily either. I also noticed that there were some people that rediscovered the beauty of practising Sabbath and ceasing. By that, I mean coming to a stop. I, I personally, when we had some lockdowns, I was kind of like, oh, so this, this is what it's like to just be. Now, after a while, we start to get a bit itchy. But we as humans and as Adventists, we know that we are designed for a rhythm, right? It's six and one. It says six days you shall labour and one day you shall rest. We're not designed to go and go and go and go. And I'd argue that we were going and going and going and going before the pandemic struck. And many of us, myself included, have realised there needs to be a rhythm. I just finished a really great book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Now, that book has been recommended to me for years and I've put it off because in my family, we often tend to overwork ourselves. But I realise with the pandemic that I couldn't go at that pace forever. In fact, I need to cease and to be in order to experience community and to experience God. We can't experience God if we're constantly on the go. The Bible says that we should rest and be still. And this other thing which I think many people did, and particularly young adults, is that we question the why and the how of church. Why do we do church and how do we practice church? Okay, They're the two things that I think we really started to question. Lots of people have been questioning tradition. Lots of people have been wondering if the way we've done church for the past, well, since we really started as an Adventist church, if that is the way forwards into the future. So in Australia, we've got some interesting stats going on. This data comes from the 2016 census data. The latest census hasn't been fully released just yet, but we're starting to see some numbers that are saying that the trends are continuing. In 1911, 
there was only 0.4% of people, you can see that down the bottom over, over here, only 0.4% of people identified as having no religion here in Australia. In 2016, that was 30.1%. In just over 100 years, we went from 0.4% of people to 30% of people in our society saying they have no religion. Isn't that startling? But then, for me, it's even more startling. There's another group here called the spiritual but not religious. That group is growing as well. In fact, we're estimating it could be as high as 25 to 30% in this next census. That group of people, and it will come from different groups who are spiritual, but they're not religious. They know there's something out there. They're searching for something because the pandemic has made people reassess their priorities, but they're not sure what that is. I see lots of these people when I do ministry in places um, like Byron Bay. There's people that are constantly searching. And in fact, if you want to see a church that is having people coming in all the time, it's Byron Bay Church. Because people are searching. They'll walk into church and they'll sit there because they liked the feel and the energy and the vibe of that place. But they're still not sure what is the answer to that space. Of Christians... 45% of our society in 2016 said that they were Christian. But 15% goes to church at least once a month. And only 7% is practicing their faith. It's, for me, that is a startling figure. How are we going to transmit as a church our, our Christianity? to the next generation, if we aren't practising, if our kids aren't seeing us practise our faith at home. It's just not going to happen. I can't, I can't make up for that. I'm one person. Quentin's one person. Our elders are all individual people. It's still not enough to make up for the fact that most people aren't practising Christianity in the rest of their lives aside from when they come to church. If we look at non-Christians... And their openness to exploring religion, this here was kind of startling to me as well. And there's lots more data I can go through, but I thought I'd give you the highlights. Is that non-Christians' openness to exploring religion is that only 10% are, inter are very interested, 13% would consider it, 77% said that they would not consider religion. Our society is moving, church. Our society here in Australia is becoming more and more secular. And there's many reasons why, and we can throw some blame out there, but I don't think blame is important here. But I think it is important to reassess the how and the why of church. Not to say that we've done anything wrong, but to say how can we reach our society? How can we share the truth? How can we share Jesus with them? We as a church believe that we have the three angels' messages, that we have the everlasting gospel to share with every person, kindred, nation and tongue. What does that look like here in Australia? Yes, we can send money elsewhere, but what does that look like here in Kingscliff? How are we going to share the love of Jesus, the everlasting gospel, to our local community and even more important, to our young people here in our church? Congregations are ageing. They're getting older. I visit congregations from outside of, of Adventism and I realise how lucky we have it. Most congregations within Australia are 
only elderly people. There's no young people left in those congregations. It's scary when you go to a church and you feel a warm sense of community and I'm the youngest person there. And there's Adventist congregations that are like that as well. In previous locations where I've done ministry, it was me. I was the young adults and I was the kids and I was the youth and I was their pastor. Right? It's startling. But in Australia, only 13% of the church is in the 15 to 29 age bracket, whereas 34% are in the 50 to 69 age bracket, and 29% of our church, in Christianity in Australia, is aged 70 plus. What does that tell you? It says, yes, our society in Australia is ageing a bit, but not at, the, not at this uh, level of demography. The church is ageing faster than Australia is ageing. In fact, might I suggest that we are less than one generation from extinction? We talk about our animals going extinct, and they are at alarming rates, and we need to care for them, but our church has the potential to go extinct as well, unless we take that message seriously of looking at what we can do about the how and why of church. But there's reasons to hope. I'm sorry for getting depressing to start with, but we've got to get serious about this. There's many stories of success. Last week, I had some people come to me and they said, we came to your church 12 months ago and it was uninviting and no one said hello to us. But this week, we had at least five or six people come and give us a personal welcome and it made us feel like we were welcome here. Isn't that amazing? The fact that we are improving in that. And I see so many other stories of success. I see what Lachlan and all the Friday team are doing. There's young people ministering to... Young people, that's amazing. That's a really awesome story of success and it's a really successful ministry. I see what's happening in our schools and I see that as a story of success as we have teachers and principals, as we have chaplains that care about sharing Jesus with these young people and helping them to have a faith that's going to last. But as we saw last week, It comes down to our church, but it also comes down to our mums and our dads taking this seriously and practising religion at home. So what do we need to do? If we could do anything, what do we need to do? Often we think that we need to be the best, be the biggest, have a certain size, have a certain budget, make things look a certain way, and things will be successful. We think if we can make our systems just perfect, we'll keep everyone. That's not necessarily true. There's some myths. We don't need a precise size. We don't need to be in a trendy location. We don't need to be an exact perfect age to keep a young people. We could be all in our 80s church and we would be able to successfully attract young people into our church. That's possible. We see stories of that right throughout research. We don't need to be a popular denomination. We don't need to hide our denomination. We can be open and proud Seventh-day Adventist church and we can attract people. We can be passionate about everything that we hold true as Adventists and we can attract people to church. In fact, I would argue the Adventist message is attractive to the world right now. Never before has our world cared more about health. What do we have that we're pretty passionate about? I see non-Christian, non-religious people doing our health message often better than we do it. 
We're the health message people. We have centered hearing. We have an awesome message that we can use to attract people, to keep people. We don't need to be super duper cool and have everything just right and have our lights flashing and to keep young people. We don't need to have a big modern building, even if we're blessed with one. We don't need to have the biggest budget. Often I hear people willing to give money so that there is more and more ministry in a certain place just so that we're going to keep people. More money doesn't guarantee success, church. Investment personally of your time and your faith is what's going to guarantee success. We don't need to have a super-duper hip and modern worship service where everybody's bouncing around. We don't need that to grow, church. We don't need to water down our teaching style. Doesn't that make some of us really... We don't need to water it down. We don't need to make it really, really weak. We can share the reality of every single thing that we know as Adventists to be true, and that's not going to make people necessarily go away. Nor do we need to keep our programming... Hyper we don't need to have something on every single day to keep people. We don't need to burn ourselves out to keep people. For me, this is an important question. We're going to get to the scripture in just a moment. I've got the Bible right here and we're going to dig into it. When someone mentions Kingscliff Church, what image or feeling comes to your mind? When someone mentions Kingscliff Church, what image or feeling comes to your mind? It's a tough question, right? What do I feel when I think of Kingscliff Church? Do I feel invited or do I feel like there's maybe a bit of distance going on there? Do I feel that everyone accepts me for who I am or do I need to hide myself before I come to church so I can just kind of fit in? You see, these words up here are words that researchers discovered that young people... And all people, but I'm gonna, this research was on young people, but I've discovered it's all people care about. That we are welcoming, that we are accepting, that we offer belonging, that we're authentic, we're not fake, we're not plastic, we're, we're real when we have struggles, church, and I have struggles too, right? We're hospitable and we're caring. I don't want you to necessarily answer me, but how many of these can we say are definitely true about our church here. Because church warm is the new cool. Authenticity trumps worship style. Authenticity trumps everything else we can throw in the mix to try and attract people to church. If we are just authentic, it's a tough word. If we're real, if we are willing to be vulnerable in this space, and yes, we're going to get hurt sometimes, but if we're willing to be vulnerable and give a part of ourselves to our community, that is what keeps people in church. Because church, churches that keep their young, churches that keep everyone are like family. Family doesn't mean that things are always perfect and looking the same and looking like a polished image. Family can get rough and ready sometimes. Family isn't always that great. Some of us might have some pretty rough families, but church, we are called to be like family. Often 
when we talk about keeping kids, we talk about our kids' ministries. And we're like, we need to have one adult to look after five kids because we need to make sure we've got our ratios right because we need to make sure the kids' ministry is going to be successful. So one adult to five kids. That's what's happened for a long time. And church, we're lucky that we have kept kids in church because there's many denominations that don't have kids in church and their kids are gone. There's kids in here. There's babies crying today and that makes me happy because it tells me our church is growing. But may I suggest that we don't need one adult to five kids, but we need five adults to one young person. Chap Clark and Cara Powell in their... I'm going to say revolutionary, but all the data was already saying this and they were already talking about this in their, in their book, Sticky Faith, and in Growing Young, and in Growing With, and in all of their recent research, which Adventism is heavily involved with. This is the ratio we need. Five adults to one. Because in fact, Chuck Clark notes that if we just have five adults taking an interest in one person in our church, they are up to 70% more likely to stay in church. The way that we do church demands relationship, demands that we care about one another, that we don't just care about our circle, but we care about the young people outside of our circle. If you're an adult here, can you think of the name of one of our young people in church? I'd hope that we all know the name of at least one of the young people in our church. And I'd hope that we are able to call them by name when they come past and say, hey, how are you going? How was your week? Because trust me, they're going to remember that. I did. Yes, I'm a pastor's kid, but I'm not in church because my dad's a pastor. I'm sorry, Dad, if you're listening. I think he's preaching right now, but Mum's listening. I didn't stay in church because my dad's pastor. I stayed in church because people, because adults took an interest in who I was and who I am. I had particularly sound guys, uh, Gibbo, I'm sure he might hear this at one point, he was someone who invested in me and dragged me along to all of his events to help out, to be on ProPresenter and be, be on visuals, to be on the sound team, to set up for events, to do life together. Another sound guy, Keith Wallace as well, from Gateway, he invested heavily into me. Now, I think right throughout my childhood and my teenage years, there were always adults at each church I was at that took an interest in me. And I credit that as to why I'm here. Because church, the way of the future is intergenerational relationships because we see age segregation everywhere in our society. It exists in our churches and our broader culture. Each young person greatly benefited when surrounded by a team of five adults. We call this, this is Cara Powell speaking, the new five-to-one ratio. And Chuck Clark said way back in 2004, way before they got to this, this research paper, he said, here's the bottom line. Every kid needs five adult fans. Any young person who shows any interest in Christ needs a minimum of five people of various ages who will say, I'm going to love that kid until they're fully walking as an adult member of this congregation. Many churches have adopted our culture's method of fragmenting generations. We've accepted the idea that youth want to be left alone that the older generation can't reach them. But church, that's not true. I'm telling you, as many of our senior people in church, that you have an essential role in this church. 
You have a responsibility to care for the young people. And young people, you have a responsibility to look to the older people and care for them as well. It goes both ways. In fact, we see great benefits. There was a, um, a church that decided that they'd get their young adults and their, young, and their teenagers to run computer mentoring sessions. Would anyone here appreciate a computer mentoring session? Or an iPhone or a phone mentoring session? A few of us, right? And some of us don't really want to put our hand up. But this church, what they did is they got their young people to go and mentor their older people and teach them how to do things on their computers that they needed done. Do you know what they discovered? They discovered that the old people took an interest in these young people's lives and what was going on and checked in on them each time they met up. And this cohort, about 85% of them stayed in the church because there was relationship happening. That's what church is. It's relationship. Because in Scripture, I think there's some good guidance on how we can do this well. I think Scripture has some of the best guidance on how we can do this well, how we can do church well. We're going to go to Acts chapter 4. This is one of this is a relatively challenging passage sometimes because it doesn't mesh very well with what we think we should be doing as a, as a church today because we're like, oh, we've all got our own, our own thing. This is what it says. It says, Now the whole group of those who believed, this is verse 32, were of one heart, and they were of one soul. And no one claimed private ownership of any possessions, but everything they owned was held in common. With great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as owned lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. They laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need." That sounds like a tough way to, to live, right? We're giving of ourselves. We might have to maybe give up something in order to gain something greater. Now, I'm not telling you you need to go home and sell your house. So if you sell it on the cheap, I'll greatly approve of that and I might be able to get into the housing market. But what I'm saying is this is a call to love one another. It's a call to fulfil the greatest commandment in our own church. It's to love one another and to know one another. How am I meant to know what need Jade and Adriana have if I don't know them, right? And it's a challenge for me as well because I have to try and get to know people well to know what their needs are. As a pastor, I can't know your needs unless I try to get to know you. The same goes... The same goes for, for Keith and Betty. The same goes for Peter and Gil. The same goes for all of us, right? If I don't know you, how am I meant to know what need you have in order to love you well? It's not just for me. It's for you to look for someone in church that you might not know, get to know them, or the people you do know, be interested and discover what their needs are. Isn't that tough to do in a society that is so deeply focused on self. We can, we can spend all day, we can, we can spend a whole 12 hours of our workday focusing on self. We can spend all our time focusing on self. 
Thankfully, the supply chain has gotten slow and unfortunately, inflation is getting high, but it has forced many people to consume less. So my challenge perhaps is maybe we need to consume less, maybe we need to consume church less, and maybe we need to do church more. Because church, only one third of young adults feel cared for by others. This is a 2019 research paper from Barna. Only one third of young adults feel cared for by others. In Australia, during COVID, we discovered that there was a loneliness crisis, right? Many people were lonely. They were never before had they never had, had they lost their human connection like that. And they were lonely. But it's not just our older people that are feeling lonely. Our young people are feeling lonely too. So perhaps we can reverse that by doing that five to one ratio well. By knowing, and I'm going to change it to knowing the names of at least five other people in our church and taking an interest in them. Because church, when we've experienced God's grace, we should, well we do, we care about the plight, about the trajectory of those around us. What do I mean by that? I mean, when you've truly experienced God's grace, when you've truly experienced the fact that he has given you salvation when you've accepted him, when you truly understand that, you want to change, but you want to make sure that others around you get to experience that too. At least I do. I want to make sure that every single person here experiences God's grace and that their life, that their trajectory changes. And I think there's many ways to change the trajectory, church. But in Luke 10, in one of my favourite stories in the Bible, we discover maybe what Jesus means by this. It says in verse 38, Luke 10 and verse 38, it says, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Often we stop there and we're like, oh, isn't Martha great at doing hospitality? Everyone can have the hospitality gift, but no, there's more to the story. It says, She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks as so she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Now, if Jesus was really keen about the systems that existed at that time, that's what he would have done. He would have said, Mary, all right, go help your sister. But no, what did he say? But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. Why are you so worried and distracted by many things? There is need only of one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. What am I trying to get out of this passage here? What in our lives, church, do we need to let go of in order to focus on what matters? I spoke about the ruthless elimination of hurry. It's not just us that are hurrying. It's not just me that's hurrying. 
Our whole society, church, is hurrying. The pace of society is picked up. We were promised that when the washing machine, that when the dishwasher, that when the car was all made, that when we went from just Nokias to smartphones, when our computers went to really, really big and heavy to able to be carried in one hand, that, that things would get easier, that life, that we're going to have more time for our family. Never before have we had less time for our family. Never before have we had less time for Jesus. What do we need to let go of or to reprioritize in order to focus on what matters? You see, Mary, while she probably should have been helping Martha, she took the time to sit at the feet of Jesus. And undoubtedly Martha would have at some point as well. Martha didn't quite get it there. She's like, Lord, I'm trying to host you well. I'm trying to look after you well. Let's make sure Mary can do that, look after you well too. Jesus was like, stop, stop, cease and sit at my feet. When we choose connection, and when we choose community, because when we choose connection, community and being like family church, we discover something. We discover belonging. That cures that loneliness problem when we feel like we belong somewhere. And I want to tell you that you belong, church. Every single one of you, and those that are online as well, belong here in this family. You might feel like you're slightly outside the family, but no, you are a part of our family. And I want to do family well. I want to do church well. I want to do connection well in church. Maybe it might require something of you because you can't belong unless you're willing to give something. I'm going to use a word that we don't like called vulnerability because when I say vulnerability, we think that we're we're open to getting hurt, and yes, we are, but we're also open to discover belonging, to discover connection when we give a part of ourselves to community. Because when we do that, we start to realise, we start to discover what a seat at the family table looks, feels, smells and tastes like. It tastes like you being valued. It tastes like you being important. It tastes like your faith flourishing together. Because my belief is that church should reflect the kingdom of God. Does the kingdom of God look like me? Yes, it does. Does the kingdom of God look like you? It looks like you as well. The kingdom of God is not a rigid sameness. The kingdom of God is a bit messy. You see, we stepped away from God a long time ago. But God was right there saying, I choose you. All we have to do is choose him. And the kingdom of God is going to look a bit like a family. We're all going to be there, young and old. You are as well. It's not going to reflect 100% of what I think it should right now. 
is going to be something far more beautiful. Rather, I think the kingdom of God is the sum of all the parts, the body of Christ coming together in a really beautiful collection of all people who are in community and belong. Because you are important and you matter and you are a part of the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God is the sum, church, of each of us together. So I'm going to give you a challenge now. I'm going to give you something to do because if we're going to keep young people in our church, if we're going to keep old people in our church, if we're going to keep all people in our church, it requires something of you. You see, if we're going to pass faith from generation to generation, it isn't just a matter of passing, the, the, passing them the baton and saying, good luck. No. It's about doing community well. It's about raising each other up. If we're going to transmit the gospel to the next generation, if you're an adult in the room, you have a duty to take an interest in the next generation. It's a responsibility that is given to you, I believe, in here as well, as the body of Christ. And church, I'm here to tell you that young people have a responsibility too. You have a responsibility to help us understand what's going on in the world, in the world around us. To help us connect with those that we might struggle to connect with. To teach those that are older, about what the world is like for you. This requires something of each of us. So who's going to be sitting at our table in heaven? Who's going to be sitting at your table? Think of it like a wedding. Who are you going to have on the name tags, the placeholders, at the table, at the banquet. Are your kids going to be there? Are you going to be there? Are your grandchildren going to be there? Church, we have a duty. We have a responsibility to make our table as full as it possibly can be. We have a duty to take an interest in the kids in our church in order that they might be sitting at that table too. Are you up to the challenge? I think we are. I think we do many of these things well. But I think we can all do that better. And church, when I next share with you, we're going to have a look at the family. You see, the family is a place that's been struggling in our society lately. But mums and dads and grandmas and grandparents have a solemn responsibility in family as well. We're church family, but we're made up of families. And we want to have a look at how those families are going. We want to do a checkup. We want to see, we want to, want to understand what's happening in our society to families as well and how we can care for those families. If you're interested in understanding a little more about mentoring, about caring for others, I've got a little booklet over there that you can have a read of. 
If you're a grandparent and you want to have an interest in and start to understand how you can do this well for your grandkids, I've got a little booklet over there for you as well. So if you want to come and get them after the service, you're more than welcome. Why don't we have a prayer as we finish up church? Let's bow our heads. Loving Father in heaven, Lord, I just thank you so much for this church family. I thank you for the fact that that many of us want to be like Mary and to sit at your feet and to stop and cease and to experience the goodness that your kingdom offers us. And Lord, I pray that we may do that. And as we do that, that we may be able to look for those in our church that we can know, that we can have relationship with. And Lord, I pray that we are all open, that we're all willing to, to maybe be a little bit vulnerable to do relationship well here, to do church to be family. Lord, guide us and strengthen us and uplift us this week. In your wonderful name we pray. Amen.